noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, tonight. We thank you for the great privilege that we have to study your word. God, I pray that as, as we study your scriptures, that we would understand the value of the cross, that we would understand the power of preaching. And, oh, God, I pray that you would help us understand the, the importance of having a humble heart before you. So, God, I pray for myself and for the people of God here that when we boast, that our boast would be in the Lord. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as a pastor, uh, one of the things you often hear when you encounter uh, people is, uh, is preaching is dead. You know, I remember talking to someone recently, and they were just amazed that you preach every single week. Like, you, you actually prepare a message, and you read, and you study, and you, you write things down every single week. Man, that's got to be tough, right? You know, in, in modern education, they, they, the big thing now is different learning styles. So we all know we all, some of you learn differently. Some of us learn by hearing. Uh, some of us learn by, by doing things. And, you know, people will say, well, man, people preach all the time, and people hardly re- remember what you preach. Is this a worthy exercise for us to be spending your time, right? It's, it's really encouraging as a pastor when you realize that uh, you preach for, for 30 to 40 minutes, and people may remember one or two, two sentences, Right? And you say, is this valuable? Should we continue uh, to do this? Uh, and those are the things that we're going to continue to, to battle in our age. As, as our, our, our attention spans are completely, are completely um, destroyed when it comes to technology, right? Uh, those of you who teach young people or around young people, it's hard for young people not to grab that phone out of the pocket or not to to feel their, their hand twitch when they hear a buzz, right? There's just something happens among, among young people today. But you have to ask the question, is preaching dead? Well, of course, no. <laughs> preaching is not dead, especially when we look at the scriptures and we see the value of what God says that we should do. Uh, one of the, 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 the joys I've had over the last couple of years is taking these classes, um, uh, preparing for my Ph.D., and the actual degree is in missiology, it's the study of mission of the church. And there's so many different ways people are, are trying to establish what the mission of the church uh, is, is to do. Uh, and I, I think that if we're not careful, we're going to overcorrect some things in, in the past, and we're going to kind of drift back into liberalism, right, uh, of the 1950s and 60s as, as an American church. Evangelicals don't know what it means to be evangelical anymore. So the, the, the term evangelical, we are an evangelical church, really kind of was birthed through Billy Graham. Uh, an evangelical church was a church that centered them, themselves on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures. Well, today people kind of include evangelical in a very broad group of, of, of categories. If you even think that Jesus is a good guy, you may be considered uh, evangelical. So we, we think about what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a, a Christian, evangelical, gospel-believing, Bible-preaching church? It means something unique to us, but maybe not so to the rest of our country. 
But here, what we see in God's word, God says there are certain things that should be part of a, of a local church. There are certain things, certain activities that should be regular in the life of a congregation. So we begin with looking at the wisdom of preaching. The wisdom of preaching. Look at verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So there's two kind of categories of people here. There's those who are perishing and there's those who are being saved. There's really those are the two kind of people. There's people who are headed towards an eternal destruction, headed towards literally headed towards ruin, and those who are headed towards salvation or the, or the way of, of life. And and it's it's you can tell on where they stand and how they view preaching. You notice that? It says, for the, the word of the cross, the, the message of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, the foundation of our Christian faith, is, is folly, is foolishness to those who are perishing. So there are, there are those who hear the word of the cross, the message that is proclaimed, they hear that and they, they think it's foolishness, that, that, that we actually need a, a, a savior. And those others, those who are, are being saved, it is what? It is the power of God. You see that idea of power of God woven through this text. The power of God is the, is the power to save sinners. And how does the power of God save sinners? It's through the word of the cross. There is power in the preaching of God's word. Uh, so if you look at the history of the church, God has always used the preaching of the word to save people. That is where the power of God is made, is made manifest. When, when God's servant preaches God's word to God's people, something happens in their hearts. They're, they're drawn to love God, God more. And those who are in that direction of, of heading towards ruin, when they hear the word of God, what happens to their heart? It, it is softened and is convicted and it is drawn to, to being saved. Where they would hear the word of God and, and be changed. The word of the cross is essential for, for the life of the church. You'll see that as, as, as we go on, especially next week when we look at the end, uh, beginning of chapter 2. Uh, the means God uses to save people primarily is through his word. Now, you can look at a lot of different strategies today uh, about where, we, where should we start with people. Uh, should we start with maybe a general idea and maybe affirming their presuppositions and kind of talking maybe gen generalities? Or should we start with the word of the cross? Well, I would always encourage you to start with the word. The word has a, has a, has a cutting, has a penetrating thing for the human heart. So historically, how has God grown his church? One is the preaching of God's word. A strong church will always have uh, a, a strong preached message, right? Not always a strong preacher, because I think sometimes we, we, we lose the fact that a, a church that is healthy does not have the most dynamic and the most powerful and the most wise preacher. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, probably one of the greatest theologians that, that America's ever seen, was a very boring preacher. He would take his sermons by candlelight and he would just read them aloud. Probably pretty boring in his, in his exposition, but the content that he, that, he, that, he, that he preached was powerful. But that was a different age. We, we don't live in an age of substance anymore. People don't want substance. What they want is they want flash. They, they, they want you to, to be wow. They want to be entertained. That is our culture, right? 
And what we're saying as a church, we are not here for your entertainment. We're here for your substance. You need substance that the world cannot give you. You need the word of the cross. You need the literal word of God. My wife and I were joking this morning uh, because the title of today's morning message was, Does God Hate? A a lovely Valentine's Day message. (laughs) Before Valentine's Day, Does God Hate? And we were joking and saying, you know what, It's, it's it's a beautiful thing when you preach expositionally. Right? When you preach God's word, because you allow the message of God's word to ruin, to, to ruin everything else. Right? Because God's word is central. We want the, the exposition of God's word to be foundational in the life of the church. So historically, a, a, a healthy church, or a church, was a, a place where the, the word of God was rightly preached, where the ordinances were rightly administered, and where church discipline was rightly practiced. That is a general way of how the, the, the word of God or a healthy church would be established. Well, today there's a lot of churches where the word of God is not preached, where the ordinances are, are rarely practiced well, and church discipline is also never practiced. I think we're doing fine on the first two. We've got to grow on the third one if we're going to be a healthy church. So how did, how did God's his means to use to save people? Preach God's word, read God's word, right? But remember, most of the, the world can't read. You know, we are gifted to be able to have the ability to read. Most people don't have that knowledge. Um, so most people, the third thing, hear God's word. How many times have you read the Bible? You've heard me say this before. When you read the scriptures, how often does it say, read God's word? Read God's word. It usually doesn't say that. Usually what does it say? What does it say? Hear God's word. Hear God's word. Because you know what just happened? When I read the, the, the passage of scripture, when I read these long passages in, in our church, the reason why that happens is now everybody in the room is held accountable to what you just heard. Because you can read the Bible personally in your, own, in your own quiet time. But when you hear in a church service where the word of God is being announced, now there's a, there's a greater weight on us with the accountability of those who are he- hearing it with to obey that word. Hear God's word. So just, just two things I want to look at this under this, this, this first topic. Preacher's job, hearer's job. So what is the preacher's job in preaching God's word? One is to study the text. Make sure you understand what the text says. You know, uh, I, was, I was laughing with John Whitaker today because he said, man, I was really prepared, preparing for a sermon this week. I was reading through Obadiah, and I didn't understand a word of it. <laughs> he says, I was really excited for, to hear the message because I did not understand a word of what I was reading. So part of the job that you have entrusted me to do is to study the text to make sure that I know what the text says. Right? In, a, in a historical context, I'm able to do that. Number two, you work to understand and teach it faithfully. So once you, you, you understand what the, the text says, you understand it and you try to teach that message faithfully to the church. Right, So uh, the way I judge if I preached well is not how people responded to my, my, my message. I, I know if I preach well, am I faithful to the text of Scripture? And did I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? If I can say yes at the end of the, end of the message, regardless of my stumbling over words, regardless of how well I illustrated it or applied it, I'm going to go home happy. Now, of course, there's times that I think that you want to, you want to grow and have other things in, in your messages. But those are the two things that are mandatory, teaching the text faithfully and preaching the gospel. The other job of a preacher is to pray over the text and the congregation. I was really convicted this week of um, doing my dissertation on John Flavel, uh, Pearson pastor. And he said that one of the reasons why his writings and his preaching was so powerful is that he labored in prayer in his closet 
for, the, for, the, for everyone who would hear and read his words. And God used him tremendously. Part of the job of a pastor is to pray over God's people. Right? So praying for their hearts, that they would hear the word. Because we know that unless the, the Holy Spirit quickens the heart, the words mean little. But God can take a sentence. God can take a, a, a word and pierce someone's heart by his spirit. So every, every Sunday I pray that the word of God would, would be announced through my mouth and be preached by the Holy Spirit into people's hearts. The next thing, the fourth thing, a job of a preacher is to apply the text to the congregation. You know, it's one thing to teach what the text says. It's another thing to teach what the text means to the people that God has given uh, me to shepherd. Right? So if you are an elder uh, uh, just aspiring to be a, a pastor uh, in a church, uh, your role is to know your people. Because you can't know what the Word of God means. Uh, you have to know what the Word of God means, but you have to know what the Word of God means to the church that God has given you to shepherd. God has given you to be an overseer of. Right? So if I look at the congregation right now, I don't have to do a lot of convincing of the congregation here right now that the preaching of the God's word is important. You, you guys believe that, right? Uh, but when you, when you hear that, you should, I'm also preparing you so that you would know how to answer that question when someone says, preaching should be dead. You listen to preaching every single week. So now with you, when you hear this message, this, you can think about it two ways. And I can maybe kind of jump into the next point. Um, actually, let me just hold off, and I'll get to that in terms of the, the, the hearer's job. You want to apply the text to the congregation. Know what's going on in people's life and what they need to hear. Uh, so what is, you can draw out different things from God's word. right? So if I know that there's, a, there, there's people in the church who are struggling um, with feeling that God is with them, I'm going to look at verse 18 and said, For us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Beloved, you are being saved by the power of God. Right now, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He is calling you to glory. Right? Well, that message means something very different to someone who is struggling than someone who is, is, is doing great. Right? You can take that message and you apply it. There may be a lot of people here who don't know the Lord. And that may be those. Are you perishing tonight? Are you here and not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says that if you look at this message, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, as foolishness, that you are perishing. That means for eternity, separated from God in a literal hell. That's truth. But those who are here are believers in Christ. That application may not be maybe best. You see how that works? So then I think that's my job as a pastor. And also just teach doctrine. When doctrine arises in the text, to teach what Christians believe. What does the Bible teach? The second thing, the hearer's job. One, you need to prepare your heart to listen. You know? And that's hard to do. You know, it's hard to listen to, to a 30 to 40 minute message, isn't it? Right? Sometimes your mind starts to drift, but you need to, before you even enter into the, the preaching of God's word, you need to prepare your heart to hear God's word. So one of the simple ways we do is when we stand to read God's word, that is your check in your mind to say, okay, God is about to speak to me and I need to be ready to listen. That is, a, that is, that is worth, but one way we're trying to prepare you to hear God's word. The other opportunity you have every single week is, is during the offertory. Take that time to ready your own heart to hear God's word. Don't take that time to talk. Take that time to pray that God would preach to your own soul and to the souls of those around you. Right? Model that, that preparation. That every time that, that offertory is, is being played, you're, you're preparing your heart like a, a holy hush is kind of coming over God's people, ready for the word of God to come into our hearts. So how do you prepare your heart to listen besides those things? I would say study the text before 
before the preaching of the word. I try to give you the text what we're preaching beforehand so that you would read it and study. That God would maybe draw some insights in your own preparation before the Sunday or Wednesday gathering. This is, may, may seem um, weird to say, but I think it's the job of, of the hearers of God's word is to grow your attention span. So when you're discipling people, and even for your, your own, your, yourself, especially when you're discipling younger people, you have to help them learn how to think hard for long periods of time. Because that's, that's, that's rare today. You know, How many hours of television are watched in an average day by the average American? It's a lot. Let's say the average American comes home, hangs out with the family, you know, and then 8 o'clock turns on the television. Probably, you know, 8 to 10, 2 hours. How many hours of, of, of TV is that a week? Before the preach word, Monday through Saturday. That's 12 hours that they're getting inundated by the things of the world. And then they want to come and they want a 40-minute message to radically transform their lives. They're just not prepared to do that. Right? They're not prepared to have a conversation with a person who's standing right in front of you for 15 minutes without being distracted. Right? We live in an age where we are not trained to think hard. So we have to grow our own attention span. That means we need to turn off technology and maybe pick up a book. Right? Maybe listen to sermons on our own so that we can last longer during a message. I'll never forget when I was, uh, I was at my previous church up in D.C. and the sermons there were an hour long. Right? 60 minutes Sometimes a minute, like an hour and ten minutes, man. They were long sermons. But I loved it. We were just getting God's word. There's just kind of the normal rhythm. You kind of were there. And I took my friend uh, who was a non-believer. I could not wait for him to go. Right? I could not wait for him to go and hear God's word and hear the gospel being preached. And he sat next to me. And, and afterward, I'm like, dude, what would you think? And I'm ready to go like, that was the greatest thing ever. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. That's what I was praying to hear. And his first response was, that was so long. <laughs> that was so long. He couldn't, he couldn't deal with the attention span because it takes a lot to hear God's word, right? To be focused, to be in tune. Um, so you want to grow your attention span. Two, you want to pray for the preaching and the impact of God's word. You want to pray that God would speak to your own heart and that God would speak to the people around you. One of the ways we pray for one another is that you pray that God would, would, would touch your heart through the preaching of the word. But not only touch your heart, but to touch the person next to you. Right? That God would, 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 would touch my heart in my preparation. And I, first of all, can I just say thank you? It is so humbling to know you pray for me. And I know many of you pray for me every day. Right? And it's so humbling to know that. Right? Continue to do so. Because when I'm pouring over God's word and thinking about it, I want, I want the, that to be powerful when I preach. Not because of me, but because of the word that we have the, the opportunity uh, to shepherd. You want to apply the word to your own heart. You want to hear God's word and says, what does that mean to me? Right? How can I obey this passage? Right? Is God speaking to me? That's what we have to do first. We always apply the God's word to our own heart. You know, like we were in a plane crash, the first thing we always do right, is we put the mask over our own face first. We, we apply it to ourselves. We take in our own oxygen. But then we do what? We do it to the person next to us. So if you're not using the Sunday morning gatherings, the Sunday evening gathering, the Wednesday night gathering as training for yourself, for your own discipleship of your family and for your coworkers and for your neighbors and for your children, well, then you're doing yourself a disservice, right? We have a lot of bloated Christians who have tons of knowledge but never share it, 
right? That's not what we want to do. That's part of the preaching of the word, right? You're hearing the word. You're being saved. You're being sanctified. You're growing in holiness, growing in godliness. You want to pour that out to, uh, to others. So, number one, the wisdom of preaching. Uh, I pray as long as we're, that I'm here, we're going to continue to preach the word. And, can I just add this? I pray that I'm not the only one preaching. I pray that God would raise up other men in our congregation would have other people preach God's word. Because here's the deal. It's not a preacher you love. It's God's word you should love. You know, I love Charles Spurgeon. He's, he was a great preacher, but he, he would say that, um, speaking of George Whitfield, saying, you know, George Whitfield um, is a better preacher of the gospel. But he can't preach a better gospel. So whoever comes into this pulpit, if they preach the gospel, we want to rejoice in that person. Whether they're, they're a 21-year-old and they're nervous and it's the first time they've ever shared God's word, uh, or someone who's a seasoned elder who's been preaching for a long time, we want to highlight the word of God above a person, right? So let me just, hypothetical question. What if I told the church tonight, or this morning, hey guys, I just want you to come to church tonight, um, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 18 to 31 is being preached tonight. We'd love to have you come and hear God's word. Or what if I said, tonight at 6 p.m., we're going to have Charles Stanley uh, come and preach God's word to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 31. Do you think this place would be any fuller? Do you love a man or more than you love God's word? Now, we all know that there's a little tug-in-cheek there, okay? We all know we have our favorite preachers. I'm not trying to get, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm your favorite preacher. It's okay. Wisdom of Christ. Um, the wisdom of Christ, point number two. We see this in verse 20. Um, look at verse 19. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God and the world, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You notice what he says there, what we preach. And what do they preach? They preach the gospel, the kerygma, the, the, the thing that is the most central to the Christian message, the crucified and risen Christ. That is the message of Christianity. So if you go to a church that does not preach a crucified and risen Christ, you have not gone to church you are not part of a, a church service. You may not even be part of a church if they are not preaching a crucified and risen Christ. Because the world can believe any which way someone can be saved. And there's a lot of ways our world says you can be saved. Be a good person. Right? As long as you're a good person, you're, you're going to be all right. There's good inside of everybody. Right? There's a little light shining in every little heart. And all you need to do is fan that into flame and you will, you know, grow into a butterfly. Right? And there's a lot of things that people would say that um, would cause uh, someone to, to be saved. What Paul is t attacking here, he's attacking the wisdom of the age. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has God made, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And how has he done it? He's done it in the cross. The cross says that all are sinners and all need a Savior. And what the cross does is that you are all in need of me, God saying to us. Right? That's the power of the cross. There's many other philosophies in this world. But God silences them all by says the only way one is saved is through the cross. So this is what we preach. This is why he says, 
Go on, for the Jews demand signs and, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Those who are called by God, we see Jesus Christ as the power of our salvation. Right? When we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, we believe that we are being saved until eternity. That is our power that fuels our life. And that is the wisdom which we try to live by. That silence is all the wisdom of the, of the age of the world. And this is what happens in churches where the wisdom just tries to creep in. The wisdom of the world, the spirit of the age, just tries to creep in into our church. I've used this illustration before, but I'll never forget when I was 16 years old and um, we, uh, we had a, uh, a, a refrigerator in the house that started leaking in the back, right? Just, just one drip, one little drip, drip, drip off the ice machine in the back, really small, right? One day we woke up and our entire wood floors were warped. You know, just that one little drip, one little drip, one little drip, one little drip, destroyed the entire force, had to replace the whole thing. Well, that's really what happens with the world, doesn't it? There's just these little drips that try to happen and sneak their way into the life of the church. Drip, drip, drip. And the problem is most of us, we just don't even know what's happening. We just kind of drip, drip. Before you know it, the floor is ruined, right? The foundation is undone and that we are no longer on the rock. But we're on shifting sand, right? That's the wisdom of the world. It tries to make you believe things that are not true according to God's word. Um, man, recently I've just heard more and more people who used to really walk with God and are drifting. Have just rejected the Lord because of that drip. Drip. And that drip may, not, may be intellectual. It could be moral, right? We, 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 we really start to turn away intellectually after we turn away morally. We start loving the things of this world, and when we love the things of this world, we start loving the wisdom of this world. Do you see how that works? Our hearts are, are craving after the lust of the flesh, the eyes, the things that we want, and what that does is we have to rationalize in our head our loves, so then we start changing our, our beliefs and our doctrine. Very, very dangerous. But we say here what we preach is, is the power, Christ is the power to save, and Christ is the wisdom that saves. Uh, Leon Morris said of these Jews and these Greeks, the sign-seeking Jews were blind to the significance of the greatest sign of all when it was before them. Right? They were craving for a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And yet they, they didn't. They didn't see the sign that was right before them, the living Christ. The wisdom-loving Greeks could not discern the most profound wisdom of all when they were confronted with it. So God gave them a sign and God gave them wisdom, but they were blind to it. Why? Because they were perishing. They were not called. The, the, the calling of God exposes and opens our eyes uh, to, to the power of, of Christ. And that's why we pray. That's why we, that's why we preach the word, right? Because when we bring God's word to people, that's what has the power to call people to himself. Jesus says, if you, if you lift high Jesus, he will call all men to himself. It is the, only the Holy Spirit that, that calls us, that woos us, that, that, draws us, that draws us in. Yeah, people may respond to a message. 
You may get out of a seat and walk an aisle or even, even fill, the, water, fill the, the, the baptistry and say, yes, I believe in Christ. You may do that by your own conscious choice, but the reason why you do it is by the power and the calling of the Holy Spirit of God. Salvation always happens through Christ. For the foolishness, verse 25, of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God is above all. God's power and God's wisdom are far better than that of this age. Look at verse 26 through 31. It's interesting when we think about our, our morning's message about pride and humility. We see this right here in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Um, this may be kind of a weird uh, uh, illustration, but I, I'll, I'll never forget. Two years ago, I'm driving back from class, and um, you know, you know when you're driving, sometimes you just you try to stay awake, right? So you do a little channel surfing, right? What kind of music is going to keep me awake for this little little ride? And uh, I come across a country station, you know, a little country music. And I hear uh, Randy Travis singing Three Wooden Crosses, right? And, you know, I'm listening to this song. I've heard it before. And uh, I'm listening to this song about God using, uh, you know, sure, you may have heard it, but if not, I'll just share the, the punchline for you. Um, God using a, a, a prostitute, right, um, to, to share um, Christ with her child, right, uh, who end up following Christ and becoming a preacher, right? And how God loves to use the weak things of this world. And I just remember sobbing on the way home, right? I'm listening, I'm listening to this country song, tired, just sobbing on the way home. I'm like, what's wrong with me? But it's just amazing how God loves sinners. That God loves sinners like you and me, right? Those who have done all sorts of crazy things and those sorts of things that have wronged God in, in many ways. And yet he says, I choose the weak things of the world to shame the wise. I choose the, I choose the unclean to bring about the clean things. Uh, in others. And that's what the Lord does. You know, we think about how God uses that in the scriptures. We see that, how God chose the, the, weak, um, uh, the weak things in Israel. God chose a, 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 a savior to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, the, the smallest of, of, of all the clans. Uh, we see how even God shows how he, how he takes the prideful um, Edomites, even in Obadiah, and, and brings their, their ruin uh, we see that with Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel when he looked at over all his, his kingdom. Look what I have built. And as soon as the words came out of his mouth, God brought his judge justice upon him. Uh, Babylon and Assyria, both these mighty nations were, were brought down. I came across this uh, in study today about how God always takes great powers and brings them to nothing. I think it's, it's important to, to remember this, even as we think about our own nation, Right? America is one of the greatest nations of the world. It's one of the most powerful nations. But guys, America is not going to last forever. America is not the kingdom of God. Let me read this paragraph. The grandest of this world's powers have always declined. It has been fashionable ever since America's war with Vietnam to write about American decline. Since September 11, 2001, the world's sole remaining superpower 
a so-called imperial power has almost always been written about in terms of its limitations and problems. British decline has been an accepted fact in the life of Britain for most of the past century. The USSR fell as the short-lived empires of proud power built by Hitler and Mussolini, Hiroto and Kaiser Wilhelm and Franz Joseph and on and on. For the rise of every great power in the world history, a decline follows. We think about those who are in power and those who are in the, the elite of, of our world, and we praise them for their power. But we need to remind ourselves that those who are, in, who are powerful will one day fall. Great powers always decline. The history of the world has shown it to us. John Piper said, what is pride? Pride is the boasting in self and not the Lord. It's taking credit for what God alone can do. It's relying on self and not God. It is feeling sufficiency in our own strength and not in God's. It is the disinclination to admit that we are mere earthen vessels and so that another gets the glory. It is the unwillingness to admit the weakness that may accent the power of Christ. You know, I think about pride. Pride at its core says that you don't need God and you can boast in yourself. It's the self-centeredness. But look at what the, the, the scripture for tonight, how it ends. Verse 28 and following. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that... As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God did not save you because of your righteousness. You brought nothing to the table when the Lord saved you. You brought your sin. You brought your uncleanness. You brought your shame, your guilt, your regret. And Christ took it all. He took it all. He became your Savior by the power of God, by the wisdom of God, from the ages began, he saved you so that if one is going to boast, we boast in the Lord. So that when we have a bad day and we are not holy as we want to be, we, we can say, I now know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My boast is in the Lord. When we, when we live a life perfectly for a day or we make a, a, the right comment at the right time to our spouse or, or disciple our kids in the right way. We say, my boast is in the Lord. By the grace of God go I. Right? We want to have that humble heart about us so that we know and we will always know that if we boast, we boast in the Lord. So if God does great things at this church, we say praise be to God. Right? If, if, if God uh, allows our, our hearts to to struggle with things that are, are difficult in our life, we say, praise be to God, give us the grace to sustain us during this trial. And the fact that we can be brought through a trial, we can say, glory be to God. The great testimony that Adam shared tonight, that they were able to say, glory be to God, that we were able to, to make it even through this, this difficulty. All glory goes to God. If we boast, we boast in the Lord. Now, if you're not preaching the gospel, if you're not preaching that a Christ crucified and risen, for our salvation as the power and wisdom of God, what do you have in this world? You will be undone. All we have is Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God, sanctification, redemption, holiness. We have Christ. Therefore, we can always say, if I boast, I boast in the Lord. 
And that is why we preach the word. Week in and week out. So our boast would always be in him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that our boast is in you. I pray that you would allow our hearts to grow in love for the gospel. God, I pray that you would help me preach the gospel better. I pray you would help this church to hear the gospel better. So that I and they, all of our lives, that our boast would always be in you. We are so grateful for your goodness. We thank you for this congregation, how you have molded us in your image. We pray that you do so more and more. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.